Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you've been enjoying this time with family and friends. I know that this is probably my favorite time of the year, it's Christmas time. And I have a sermon today that is a little bit unusual for a Christmas sermon. Uh, but if you give me a moment, I want to explain why and kind of the idea behind what I'm going to be talking about. So the last few months, I've began to really notice and pay attention to this feeling that I've been finding in a lot of people uh, in our world today. And that, that is this feeling that either the world or they themselves are in need of somebody to come along and save it. Like either the world is terrible and, and somebody needs to come along and save the world because it's just getting worse and worse every single day and, and somebody's got to come along and fix things. Or maybe they themselves, personally, feel like they need somebody to come along and save them. That they need help, and they don't know who to turn to for help. And if somebody could just come along and give them the help that they need to really pick them up and move them forward, that that, that would just change their entire life. And people look for this savior in some different areas, so... Probably one of the most common is in a, the political area. That, oh, if this person could become president, then that would solve all of the issues in this nation, right? If, if this one candidate, if, if they could be the president, that would fix everything, right? Then our world could get back on track. Uh, some people look for that savior in a relationship. Oh, if I could just meet... The right guy or the right girl and and build this relationship with them and love each other that that would really save me and and sometimes people feel that way when they're already married right that's what leads to a lot of uh adulterous affairs and divorces is people saying well this person that i'm married to this person i'm with is is so terrible for me and if i could just replace them with someone who is good and loving and supportive, then my life would be better. And I've even seen this need for a savior in a lot of church people as well, as they obsess about the second coming of Christ. Because this world is so dark and terrible, it's going to hell in a handbasket, and it just keeps getting worse and worse, and boy, what we really need is for Jesus to come back and make everything right. And I feel like a lot of people have this perspective that they need a savior or, or the world needs a savior. We need somebody to come along and save the world or to save us because there's a lot of things and people in this world that need saving. And if somebody could just come along and make everything right, that's what we need. I think a lot of people are looking for that. And I think there's some factors that go into why people are looking for that. One of them being that when you realize how small you are and how big your problems are or how big the problems in the world are, oftentimes that leaves you feeling hopeless. Because how can you do anything about so much evil? It's easy to lose hope when you consider those things. And then I think that makes people feel lost a lot of the time. 
Because what's what should the next step of their life be? When there's so much they could do and so much that needs to be done, but where do they even start? You feel lost. And oftentimes, not knowing where to go next or what to do or really even how to express those things that you feel can leave you feeling really alone. Like nobody really understands the way that you feel. Nobody understands the struggles that you're dealing with. And again, it, the, it's these things that lead us to this feeling of uh, we need a savior. We need somebody to come along and fix all of this so that we don't feel hopeless and lost and alone. Now let's take all of that and tie it in to this Christmas season. And it's during this Christmas time that we see nativity scenes going up and people complaining about how Christmas has become too commercialized and, and Jesus is the reason for the season and, and let's talk about the baby in the manger. And we have all of these Christmas plays with kids dressed up like Mary and Joseph and all the little animals and they all come together and they make that nice little scene and we have Charlie Brown on TV, well Linus to get specific, right, talking about the real reason for Christmas, Charlie Brown, that, you know, in those days, Caesar Augustus, and we're very familiar with this message of Mary and Joseph and a baby in the manger. We know this story. We hear it every year, many times. And yet we feel like we need a savior. And I think one of the reasons why this is happening is because we made Christmas about Mary and Joseph and a baby in a manger. And Christmas should be less about the manger and more about the person who's in that manger. Christmas is not a story about Mary and Joseph. Christmas is not a story about animals in a barn. It's not about shepherds in a field. It's not about angels in the sky. Christmas is the story about the Savior being born and who Jesus is. That's what Christmas is really about. Not about Mary and Joseph. Not about the nativity scene. It's about who was in that manger. It's about who Jesus was. And it's because of that and, and because we are all so familiar with the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2 which is the story of Mary and Joseph, that instead today I want to read the Christmas story from John chapter 1, which is about who Jesus is. Not just a baby in a manger, but who that baby was. Because if you remove who that baby was, nothing else on that Christmas night, none of it matters if you change who that baby was. So this is the Christmas story from John chapter 1 of who that baby was, of who Jesus is. Now as I read this story, if you're not familiar with the Bible or the Gospel of John, um, you will need to be aware that John uses the terminology of the Word in this passage 
to refer to Jesus. So every time it's talking about the word, he's describing Jesus. So John chapter 1 begins like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So John begins this story by immediately saying that Jesus is God. There is no distinction between the two of them. And he says that he was God in the beginning. It's not that Jesus became God later on in his life, but at the very beginning, he was with God and God was him. From the very start, this wasn't a man who ascended to Godhood. Jesus is one with God from the very start. And because Jesus is God, that they are one and the same, because of that, Jesus then has authority to save. He has the authority to fix what is broken and to right what is wrong. That he's not asking for authority to do something. He already has that authority to do what needs to be done. There is power in authority. I don't know if any of you listening to this have ever been promoted at your place of work before. But when you receive a promotion, there's a change that happens. Because before the promotion, you see, you probably see things at your work that could be fixed or made better, right? They, they could be improved upon, but you really have no authority to change any of it. And yet when you first get that promotion, all of a sudden... You're able to change things. You're able to fix certain things. You're able to improve things that need to be improved because you have a new authority behind your position. Now, of course, oftentimes if you get promoted, there's still somebody above you that you have to go to, right, in order to get other things taken care of. But consider that there is no higher authority than God. There's no higher authority than the creator of the universe. And so if Jesus is one with God, that means he has all authority. He doesn't have to get permission or clearance before he does anything. He has authority to save. No matter how dark the world gets, no matter how many obstacles we face, he has authority over all of it. And so when we in our lives feel powerless to do anything against all of the terrible things that happen around us, and we feel like we can't do anything about it because who are we to do something about it? When we feel like that, we can find hope in the authority of Jesus, the authority of God. We don't have to feel hopeless and powerless because we can rely on his authority, the authority to save. 
So now let's continue this Christmas story. In verse 4, John says, In him, talking about Jesus, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It's starting to sound an awful lot like the Christmas story from a different perspective, isn't it? This light was coming into this world. The light that within himself embodied life. In him was life. Not just getting by, right? Not just alive, but living. We use that phrase a lot about wanting to not just be alive, but actually living our life. That's what it's talking about here, that, that in Jesus was life. It was like taking all of the wondrous things about life and wrapping it all up in one person. You see, Jesus embodied life as only the Creator could, and He continues to embody life as only the Creator can. Because he is very much alive to this day, and that's the message of Easter. But when Jesus, who had life as the Creator of all life, he had the embodiment of life within him. And that life was a light to the rest of the world. This world in darkness Right? Very much like how we feel at times, that the world is so dark. And that life of Jesus, that this is how you should live, let me show you what living looks like. That became a light in the midst of the darkness. And John here is saying, that true light that gives light to everyone, it came into our world. Where Jesus then said, let me show you how to live. You've heard this, and you've heard that, and your wise teachers have come up with these sayings, but let me show you what life really looks like, and I should know I created it. Let me show you how to not just be alive, but how to live, and to take the life that I, am, that I embody and the life that I'm giving to you, and how to take that out into the rest of the world. Because this isn't just for you, who are witness to this. This life is a message for everyone. And I'm entrusting you to go out and take this light of life that I'm giving to you, to go and take that out to everyone. And in doing that, he gives us a purpose in life. And purpose is a perfect way to overcome those feelings of being lost. Where we don't know what the next step is for our life, and we feel like we're aimlessly wandering around and, and just fighting to stay alive but not really living. 
And for Jesus to come along and say, let me give you a purpose. Let me give you a reason to live. And I'll set the example through who I am. And I'll show you myself. That is powerful. And when I reflect on my life, and I've talked about this a little bit before, when I, when I reflect on my life, you know what I'm most proud of? The areas of my life where I feel like I'm most alive? It's not in the things that come most naturally to me. Right? What's, what comes naturally to you? What is easiest for you to do? It's easy to stay up way too late and then sleep in really late. For me, it's easy to, you know, on a, on a day off, right, on a nice casual Saturday to sit on the couch and play games and not even shower till two o'clock in the afternoon. Right? That's easy, but I'm certainly not proud of it. And I wouldn't say that that's me living my best life. No, the times when I feel like I'm truly alive, when I'm truly living my best life, if you want to use that term, are instances like now. When I'm preaching a message that God has given to me. When I'm doing His work, I feel more alive in those moments than I do at any other point in my life. Because I have purpose. It's not just mindless entertainment. It's not aimless wandering. It's understanding that I'm here for a reason and walking in that purpose. And sure, it can be easy sometimes when I've been really busy. If I've had a really busy week and the whole time I'm working, I'm thinking, boy, I can't wait till the weekend so I can actually sit down and relax for a while. And then I, the weekend comes and I sit down and relax and maybe I play a game for three hours. And then three hours in, I'm thinking, wow, I, I, I really wish I was doing something a little bit more worthwhile than this. Sure, this is nice. I'm, I'm enjoying myself, but is this all my life's going to be? If... if the rest of my life is lived like this, would I be proud of it? And maybe you've had moments in your life that you've felt that same way. Of saying, I don't, I don't want my life to just be like this. I, I want it to have more purpose because this doesn't feel like I'm really living. But let me tell you that I've never had those kind of feelings, that kind of attitude, when I'm doing something that I know makes my Heavenly Father proud. When I'm walking in His paths of righteousness, I'm walking with His purpose and fulfilling it, doing the work of His kingdom. And I've never met anybody else either that feels like they've been wasting their time when they're doing what they know God has told them to do. There is purpose in that, and even if it wears you out sometimes and you feel tired, you can look at those times and say, that was when I was truly alive. That was when I was living the most. And so when we have those times in our life when we feel like our whole world has just gone dark, 
We don't know what the next step is, and we feel like we're barely just alive. In those moments, we can find purpose by allowing Jesus to guide our life. By letting the life he gave as an example for us be that light in the darkness that gives us the purpose that we need to move forward. So we're no longer lost, we are found. John then continues in verse 10 here. He says, he, again talking about Jesus, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Christmas message, that Jesus came into this world, that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that he walked on this earth that God didn't stay in heaven, but an incarnate form came into this world, took on our shape, our form, and walked among us. And many people, they didn't recognize that. They were blinded by other things in their life. They were blinded by their perspectives. They were blinded by religion a lot of the time. But there were many many more who recognized who he was, that he was the Savior that they had been waiting for. Jesus didn't just save from a distance. He saves in his presence. He says, let me walk with you. Let me guide you every step of the way. I'm not going to make you go alone. I'm going to go with you. And I am right here. And even when Jesus, you know, he died and he rose from the grave and he ascended back to heaven. That wasn't him leaving us. In fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, eating the last supper he has before he's crucified. And it's in this that he tells them this. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. 
On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You see, when Jesus' body left this world, he sent his spirit back to be with us so that he could live with us, continue to live with us like he had been in physical form, but now no longer in physical form, but in his spirit that lives within each and every person who opens up their heart to God. For every person that says, God, I know I'm sinful, forgive me of my sin, and remove that sin from my life, and come and live, you know, oftentimes we say live in my heart, or I've heard it better described as live in the heart of me, in the very heart, that centerpiece of who I am. And Jesus says, everyone who opens up their heart to me like that, I will come and live with them, and walk with them and be with them. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in that spirit, and I will walk with you everywhere you go, and you will never be alone again. And this close relationship with Jesus is hinted at in Proverbs 18.24 that says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And brothers are pretty close. I've got two brothers. Brothers stick pretty close together. But even a brother can't be with you everywhere you go. But the Spirit of Jesus Christ can. And again, just like how it's not just some baby in a manger, this isn't just some spirit. right? This isn't just some spooky ghost. It's not some ancestor. It is God himself walking with you, giving you light and purpose through his authority and in his presence. And so those times in our lives when we feel unheard, we feel unloved, we can always find Jesus there ready to comfort us. He's a friend that sticks closer than even a brother. He has promised that he will not leave us alone. But he is there with us. And John finishes this by describing Jesus as being full of grace and truth. And it's in these characteristics that we see our Savior. Because first, in that grace... That even though we ourselves are not great people, (laughs) we're sinful. We've done things we shouldn't have. We've said things we shouldn't have. We've thought things we shouldn't have. And not just once or twice, but countless times in our lives, we've done what's wrong. And yet despite the worst of sins that we could have ever committed, God has promised us grace. He's promised us forgiveness for anyone who is repentant. And I love when Paul in the Bible gives examples of who he was, that he was somebody that was hyper-religious and used religion to persecute people 
Not just by saying mean, mean words to them, not just by being rude or calling them names. He went out and killed people because of religion. And God gave him grace. He repented of all of that. He turned his life around. He found the light of Jesus. And he began to walk a new life in forgiveness. So if God can forgive Paul, who was killing followers of Christ, then he can forgive you for all that you've done. He is full of grace and he is full of truth. And truth, it almost seems like the opposite of grace sometimes because you're either right or you're wrong when it comes to truth. Right? There's, there's not really a lot of leeway for, well, you, you're wrong, but we'll just count it as right anyways. That's not really how truth works. You're really either right or you're wrong. You're either good or you're evil. You are either saved or you're condemned. There's not a lot of middle ground there. And it's in that truth that Jesus provides justice. So for everyone who is repentant, his grace is there for them. But for everyone who is unrepentant, for everyone who closes off their heart to God, rebels against him, and says, I want to continue in my sin. I want to continue living my life the way I want to, and I will submit to no one. The Bible is very clear that God will not force his forgiveness upon you. He will not save you by force. And if you stand by all the evil that you have done, that you will be condemned for it. And so all those times that we look at our world and all the evil that's done in it, and we think, why is this allowed to continue? Why do these people get off scot-free? Why is there no punishment? Why are they never called to the mat? And somebody needs to right all of those, this wrong that is being done. Jesus does that too with his justice. He does it with truth. He says, they don't get away with it. I will hold them accountable. And of course he says that that includes you too. I will hold you accountable. Unless you allow me to forgive you. Which I just so desperately want to do. I want to give you this forgiveness. That I went and died. I paid the price of your sin for you. I am here to save you. Please let me. Because I don't want to have to condemn you too. So please let me save you. You see, we don't have to wait for a savior. We don't have to look at politics and relationships or even the second coming for the world to be saved and for our lives to be saved because the savior already came into this world. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. Not just the story of Mary and Joseph, the story of the arrival of the Savior. And he's here. 
He didn't leave us. He has sent his spirit to walk with us and guide us. He's given us his word to guide us, right? The Bible, his teaching to show us what to do. He gives us light and purpose in his presence and through his authority. The world is already saved. That is the gospel message. That is the good news that the world, our lives, are already saved That gift has already been given, and we need only to accept it. That is the greatest gift of all. It's the saving work of our Savior who is already here. We don't have to wait to be saved. The victory is already won. The enemy is already defeated. Death and sin have no power over Jesus. And he extends that victory to each and every one of us who simply acknowledge him as God, acknowledge him as our Lord and as our Savior, and accept the gift of forgiveness of sin that he is offering for us. He's already saved us. He's already saved the world. And he just asks us to accept it and to walk in it and to share the good news. Christmas isn't just about Mary and Joseph. It's not just about a manger. It's about who was in that manger. The savior of the world. The savior of my life and the savior of yours. That is the Christmas message. And that's today's Sermon in the Pocket. I hope that it has allowed you to maybe see Christmas in a slightly different way, a more meaningful way. Not just trees, not just presents, not even just nativity scenes, although I have nothing against the nativity scene, but it shouldn't be all that Christmas is. That shouldn't be where all the focus should be, because there's something far greater to focus on. It's our Savior. And boy, is that worth celebrating. So let's remember that during this time. And if you have any comments or questions for me, go ahead and reach out to me through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. You can reach me there too. And if you're interested in the new ministry I've been doing or watching me preach uh, with video, um... Look up openforumministries.com, and you can find more information there. But until next time, I pray God's blessings upon you. I pray that his saving grace and truth is made known to you more and more every day. I thank you for listening. But until next time, have a Merry Christmas. Thank you.